0: You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man.
1: <laughs> All right, you guys, what's going on? It is episode number one fourteen. Can you believe it of the Ron and Don show? Uh, he's Ron Upshaw. He is live from the Les Schwab Studios right over there, at South Lake Union. My name is Don O'Neill, and I am live from Queen Anne Mountain. Also in the Les Schwab Studios. A lot going on today, and we have one of our favorite people in the history of the planet, on the history of Earth, in the history of the Ronadon Show, in the history of the Ronadon Nation. We are gonna introduce you in a moment to Dr. Priscilla Wright. And who is she? Well, she's my therapist. She's Ron's therapist. I met Priscilla because Ron said, "Hey." I have somebody. I know that you were looking for someone to talk to. I think she'd be really great. And I've actually been seeing uh, Dr. Priscilla right now for almost three years. We're going to talk about that journey. She's going to share some things with us that is very, very important. She's also the team clinician for the Seattle Seahawks. She has worked a lot with public figures, a lot with athletes, and a lot with African-American athletes. So I think she'll have a unique perspective as far as what we were seeing around the country and seeing around the
2: world yep. That, so. i think the actual conversation was you're way more messed up than me you've got to go see my doc <laughs> <laughs> and don finally listened for one
3: no comment <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're already on volume <laughs> don i just have one very slim line volume there you but go anyway. wow.
1: All right, we're going to talk to Priscilla in a moment. First, I wrote something that I wanted to share with you guys, and it's just kind of a, a reflection of uh, my time with Priscilla and then also kind of a couple things that I see happening around the country uh, right now. So this is called, uh, maybe it's time to stop blaming all the cops, uh, but Don O'Neill. Uh, I wrote, I just took the weekend to really think, to reflect, to read, to pray, to meditate, and to listen. I've also learned through therapy that I've spent – a lot of time blaming others in my life, and now I'm learning more about emotional intelligence. And what I'm learning about emotional intelligence is that it demands that you and I, that we develop the ability to see our part and to see my part. What's my part? What's my role? What's my participation, not only in my own life, but in the lives of the people around me? Now, I wasn't there on the evening of May 25th when four Minneapolis police officers snuffed out the life of George Floyd but I surely participated in the degradation of Mr. Foy's life and people of color like him. It's easy to blame others, but what is my role in all of this? Hey, I always thought that having black friends, not using the N word and holding the door open for black people meant that, hey, I'm not a racist. And you know what? I'm learning that maybe that's not enough. In fact, dealing with race relations in America today, it demands more of me. So as I look back now, I wish I would have handled some things differently in my life. Let me share a couple things. Number one, when I was a young man, I played football for an all-white team in Chicago suburb. And one weekend, we're going to play North Chicago, which was a team of mostly African-American kids. It was a night game. The field was muddy. Snow was melting. My coach called us together in a huddle before the game, and this is what he said. He said, you know, we're about to go play a team of all, and he used the word, the N-word. Then he went on to say, you'll not be able to see them because their jerseys are black. They are black. It's a night game. He also explained because they're black that they're faster than we were. And he also said in order to tackle them, just look for the watermelon between their legs and look for the whites in their eyes.
4: And you know what I said to him? I said nothing. Three years ago, I volunteered at my son's school for a field day. At that time, there's only two black children in the
1: entire school. we on a break. One of the mom asked me, she said, hey, where are you sending your son for middle school? And I told her that I wasn't sure, but I suggested a school that we were considering. And then as a black child walked by, she looked at me and said, quote, my son will not be going there. There are too many of those people coming into our neighborhood, unquote.
4: I knew what she was signaling. And you know what I said to her? I said nothing. I've dated three African-American
1: women in my life. I was born in the Midwest where that's not acceptable. And you know what I told my family? I told them nothing. When I lived in New Orleans, I dated a girl that asked me what I was doing on N-word
4: day, and she used that word. I asked her, well, what is N-word day? She said it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's Monday. We're going to the beach, heading to Florida. You want to come? You know what I said to her? I said nothing.
1: I still have two friends that I love dearly, and they refer to African Americans as Negroes and N-words. You know what I've said to them? I have said nothing. And even before I was asked to leave my last radio job, I was sat down at the Grand Central Bakery. I was told by my program manager, stop choosing stories about black and brown people. In fact, I remember telling Priscilla about this. I was instructed to stop raising money and collecting coats and toys for black and brown kids by the same manager. I was told this all came from the GM. And then when I was called by
4: the Seattle Times about this story, you know what I said to them? I said nothing. There's other examples that I'm not proud of, but you get the point. I have to be honest with myself. I can't just sit here
1: and blame cops. Many cops in the streets today, they sympathize, sympathize with both sides. This is gut-wrenching for them. Because even though they wear a badge and they have a gun, many of them are black. They are Latino. They are Asian. They are Middle Eastern. They are Native American. They are mixed race. And they are women. And they are being torn apart by all of this. When it comes to uniformity and policing today, we don't have it because people like me haven't demanded it. Blame it on Trump. Hey, we elected him. Joe Biden, he had eight years in Washington as a vice president, spent decades in Congress, Dismantle police departments. I hear that now. Well, that's easy and impulsive and scapegoatish. And the real issue, is that really the issue? Because you know what would happen. It would destroy the communities that are asking for our help right now. Reform is tougher. Reform takes work. Reform demands accountability from all
4: of us. And it demands change, you guys. And the real issue is me. Could it be you? How many stories like mine could you tell? And we have sat here
1: with our privilege and we have said nothing. I didn't kneel on the neck of George Floyd. But my inaction has participated in a society that I'm not proud of. And I refuse to hand this over to a little boy who is sleeping upstairs right now in his current condition. I can't hand this over to Gunner. I am a 50-year-old white boy that is trying to change. And it's hard, but I'm trying. Finally, I could say the names of all the people
4: involved in the stories that I just shared with you. We could have a whole hashtag Me Too thing happen here. But then that would take away the responsibility, my responsibility
1: in all of this. It's too easy to just blame the cops. And again, I didn't kneel
4: on George Floyd's neck, but I've allowed systematic racism into my life. And I am truly sorry for that. And I must ask for forgiveness. And I am determined to no longer say nothing.
1: And today, I will say all of your names. I love you all, all of you. And then I signed it, Don. We come back. She's been a North Star
4: for me. Some of these stories, she already knows because I shared these stories with her in therapy. It is okay to ask for help, you guys. It is okay to say that we are struggling.
1: And that is certainly something that I've done in my life, and I know Ron has done in his.
4: And we come back. uh, We will share. Uh, One of the great voices in our lives, and we'll share that with you next, Dr.
2: Priscilla Wright. It's the Ron and Don Show,
1: only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
2: Hey, Ronadon here. And we just want to give a huge thanks to Les Schwab. They have stuck by us and been a great sponsor since day one here on the podcast. They're doing something really cool. If you're in the Ronadon nation, they realize you haven't been driving your car a lot. Some of you, the car's been parked for months. How's the battery? How are the tires? Are there fluid leaks under the car? You can get a free Ron and Don free safety check right now, and you can even book it online. So go to leschwab.com/slash Ron and Don. You're going to get a map and find the closest Les Schwab location to you. Book that appointment online, and then you take that car in. Maybe you're going to go back to work. Maybe you're taking a road trip. Maybe you're doing a staycation. You can get this all checked out for free. They're going to make sure. That your car and your brakes and your tires and your battery and the fluid levels are all great. Doesn't cost you a thing. It's just part of Les Schwab doing the right thing like they've been doing since 1952. So go to slash Ron and Don. You can find a location near you and get that free safety check courtesy of Les Schwab.
3: When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We lived in Redmond, and the kids went to school there. We loved it. We loved it, so we were super worried about leaving, but it just had to happen. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house, and they could tell that I was like super excited and ready to go and frenzied and breathless, and they could tell right away that Juan Carlos was was like measured and careful
4: they came super prepared and they came more in learning mode right and what was important
3: to each of us i want to look at the data and the details i don't for me it's a big investment and i don't want to rush into things and they were quick to see that even though i never told them Uh, and i really appreciated that this house popped up as soon as we saw it ron and don were here (laughs) The market was super hot right then, and so there were a lot of people clamoring for it. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete in that kind of a field. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com.
0: Thanks for listening you guys I realize it's not easy Charlie the dog and I have to listen to these two jokers every day
1: Hey you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Dawn show uh, Ron, I've been talking a lot here Dr. Priscilla Wright is here We're going to talk to her, the team clinician for the Seattle Seahawks I just shared something uh, What is kind of your take on this? And, uh, and I'll let you bring in Priscilla here too
2: um, Well, that was a lot uh, but I think my my biggest take and the thing that um, when I went in to see Dr. Wright, and the hardest thing I think for all humans to do is to recognize there are parts of me that I can't see that other people can see. And learning about those and accepting those is really, really hard. And I'll give the one example that has nothing to do with race. And then we'll bring Dr. Wright in to talk about that. And it involves you way back in the day. And we were maybe I was maybe 22, 21, 22 years old, uh, was barely scraping by I was living in someone's basement uh, on a mattress had no furniture. I think you probably remember the place it was out in Sammamish. And you told me, in and in not in a, in a critical way, but I think as a friend, he said, Ron, you are, I don't know if you recognize it, you're really cheap when we go out. Hmm. You don't tip very well. You don't carry your load when we're out with friends. And it's embarrassing. And for me, I didn't know that about myself. Because in my mind, it was all that I could do to afford to just even be at the table. And I had a fear of missing out. I wanted to be included with the group, and so if someone invited me to something, I would say yes, even if I couldn't afford to be there, and that was really painful for me to admit about myself, and it sort of became a running gag on our show, but Dr. Wright, you and I have talked about this. We don't have to go into my personal history, but when you, how do you coach somebody to reveal something about themselves, because that's what we're trying to do as a nation, is to take something that is invisible and make it visible. It's really, really hard.
3: Yeah, it really is. And I think part of what makes therapy so effective and what will make um, this journey effective is people willing to tell their stories. Um, And there is data that says that when people speak their truth um, and have an opportunity to tell their accurate stories, that they cope better, that it serves their mental health to actually speak up but it's not just telling your stories. It's actually also having having someone hear and listen to your story um, and um, validate that your story is very real. Now, part of what I do with you is I may challenge some of your stories and I may say, huh, so what was really going on for you as you're telling me that? So when Dawn says to you, you're cheap, what would that bring up for you? So you're able to dig a little deeper and understand more about yourself rather than just I shouldn't be cheap because we can change our behavior. I think what we're really trying to talk about as a country right now is trying to change our hearts and Mm -hmm. not just do the behavior that is acceptable and looks right, but really understand on a deeper level what makes us tick and what gets in the way of us wanting to do the things that we would like to do or feel like we should be doing.
2: So when you, think, when you think about this, I'm sure you know way better than I do, that everybody's kind of at a different stage. There are people that are in full-blown denial about everything. Uh, there are people all along the spectrum to the fully enlightened person. And so... You know, Don and I try to get this show out into the world, and thousands of people will listen to it. So, what's what's step one from a mental health perspective or from a therapy perspective? Perspective is it? To me, it's your mindset going in, and and I think you probably remember one of our first meetings. I was like, I don't know what I don't know. I've just gone through a divorce. I have no idea what I don't know. Maybe I am an asshole. Maybe I am a jerk. Maybe I am the 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 problem in the room. How do I see what I don't know how to see?
3: Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, again, sort of the advice. I think part of this really takes people willing to be vulnerable, um, and that means uh, open and not defended and really be open to hearing people's truth and trying it on. Um, you know, you say we're on the whole spectrum, and that's right. I mean, one of the things that makes it so difficult is that we don't like to feel uncomfortable. We don't, and we don't like to be around people that are uncomfortable. So for example, if I'm doing, in a session or even in a group, someone starts to cry, they immediately apologize. I'm sorry, I'm crying, because the expectation that it's uncomfortable to be around emotion. So I think part of this is that willingness to be uncomfortable and sit in that discomfort, understand that discomfort, um, learn from that discomfort, and then move to a different place. So, you know, where do you start? It's conversations at home. It's with friends. Uh, uh, it's on reading and listening to platforms. Um, but it is, I think, that willingness to sit in discomfort rather than to want to make it go away because that's what it's going to take. Truth is uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. It, it's interesting to me when when you talk about sitting in it. Um, I'm just learning about sitting in something cause I don't like to sit in things. I like to fix things. And if you have a problem, I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And if I can fix it with a saw or a pickup truck, or we can spend the day together and I can cut your grass or we can buff your floors or just whatever it is, there's something that I can do. I want to come in and fix it, and then hopefully after I fix it, I don't have to hear about it anymore. And I was talking to one of my friends the other day who's a black officer, and I was, I was, I was going to see him, and I had all this great advice for him. And what I found out is in the middle of all this great advice, he just wanted me to shut up and to listen and to sit down.
3: Absolutely. Talk to us about Talk to us about sitting in it. Well, it's not only sitting in it, but it's also that willingness to listen. So, um, sort of classically, we're going to say, and this does not always fall on gender lines, but men want to fix and women want empathy. Now, again, it's not gender lines. But what we're realizing here is we have to listen and understand the problem before we fix. We come in with our expectations of what we think is wrong and we want to come in and do something. But let's listen to the people actually telling their stories and try to understand and validate and have empathy before we try to fix. Because sometimes, again, the desire to fix It feels like we're trying to do the right thing, but really what we're trying to do is get rid of our own discomfort. It's not about the problem, it's about ourselves. And so that willingness to listen and understand something before you go in and and try to, you know, white guilt or whatever, our need to sort of make things better um, and therefore not uncomfortable, we want to run in and do that. Um, The other part is listening to understand rather than listening to defend. I really want to hear what you have to say rather than I'm listening to you so I can get my argument in response. I want to understand you. So those are really, you know, beginning places. And it is uncomfortable. I, I was doing a, um, a town hall with a group and one of the, the, the members who's African-American said, I, I just actually just need my, my wife who's Caucasian to just sit and be with me. She, there's nothing for her to do. There's nothing for her to fix. Um, In part, I think this is what grief is. I mean, I actually think a lot of what's going on is a lot of grief. And the grief has been from the pandemic. And now we add another level of grief. And a friend of mine was saying that she feels just like she did after her her parents died. And she said, I feel like my world has changed forever. It'll never be the same. I'm sad. I'm grieved. And people want to say, how are you after the first week? But a month later, they think you should have moved on. They think you should be in a different place. And to realize that this is a process, and it's not something we can just fix and then go on to our lives. This is ongoing, and it's a process um, that takes willingness to to listen and willingness to be accountable and keep checking in with each other because we want it to be better because it's easier on us. Um, But it, it isn't necessarily better.
2: Dr. Wright or Priscilla, as I usually call you, um, joins us. How do you think about and how would you explain to me if if I was in your office one day and I was like, I don't get the the rage. Like when I when I see people throwing a, a trash can through a window at Nordstrom and looting and lighting vehicles on fire, it's like it's like I, I don't know I, what, is, what is that why is there so much rage um, what would you tell me
3: well I think there's different people expressing different rage so sadly there's always opportunistic people that are going to take an, uh, the opportunity to create mess. And as a friend of mine has said, it's like fish stew. You can have 99% of the ingredients be good, but you have one bad muscle in this and the whole pot is spoiled. So I think there is a lot of rage out there. Um, but rage is an emotion. The actions are different. So the actions of looting and violence are different than actual the rage. That's the behavior you do in response to rage, perhaps. Um, but the rage is, I think, uh, people saying, you haven't heard me. And as I've talked to several of my, um, black friends through this, they're saying, great, you're all showing up now, but I'm 30, 40, 50, 60. This isn't new. Where have you been and where will you be? And so I think the rage is, you know, what does it take? When is enough enough that you're actually going to hear that this is unacceptable? Um, and it's harmful and it's a daily part of our life. and it comes with great mental health costs to those individuals um, that, that I think we just have to really honor. But the rage is, um, you haven't seen me.
2: Mm.
3: In fact, I was talking to a clinician who was saying uh, she's an, a, a black clinician that worked with one of the teams, but she was saying, we're actually having to prepare materials to help a number of our African-American clients to learn what it's like to actually be seen as a human being wow. because they're so used to this behavior.
1: Yeah.
3: It's going to be an adjustment for them if people actually start treating them with respect. And I found this with the Me Too movement, you know, as a woman it was sort of like, well, that's just the way it is. You mean I don't have to be treated like this. So there's the, the sad thing is there's an acceptance, a buy-in because that's just what I know. That's how my life has been for many of these African-Americans and to say, I, I, I don't have to be afraid when there's a blue light, in the, you know, in the cop behind me. Um, I don't have to uh, feel concerned when I'm uh, out walking at night. Um, those are the kinds of things that is just familiar and um, part of their existence that they may not even be aware that is part of their consciousness. Because and
2: I think the, the other side of the flip side of that coin that I'm seeing a lot, and 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 it's happened to me a little bit, is a fatigue. Oh. If you're on the other side of that that coin, you're like, I'm trying here, like I'm trying to be part of the solution, and I It's like you want to say, I get enough, I get it, I get it. It's bad. Um, I I see the stories and I, I hear all the stories. I can't see every story and go with every. Everything and you feel overwhelmed. It's like, what am I gonna? What, what am I gonna do about it? I get it. It's bad. Like, I'm I'm fatigued of it now. Can I just go and like get a respite for a
3: second? But that's the marathon, right? I mean, that's why we shouldn't all be out here sprinting, saying, "I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna do my marching." Now it's all great because that's exactly what that the, the African American community has been complaining about. We all rise up and then we disappear because we get tired. And so the whole idea is, this is not just about this event, this is about life change. I mean, you guys have been in process of life change, right? You don't just suddenly decide to get in shape, right? It's a process and Mm -hmm. you pace yourself and you stick to it because it's a lifestyle. It's something you're saying, I'm doing this going forward, not just for today. So there is the pacing and you're absolutely right. There's battle fatigue on everyone's part Um, because this is emotionally exhausting on top of already being emotionally exhausted.
1: Yeah. One more question, then come back, and I, and I want to talk about self-care for everyone. Um, I've been reading and, and, and trying to learn more about emotional intelligence. A big part of emotional intelligence is taking responsibility. Uh, and another part is educating yourself. I've had a couple of my black friends say, my white friends are wearing me out right now. And they're being so nice to me, and they're checking in with me and asking me if I'm okay. Uh, and it's not that they're my friends. They, they've checked in with me before to ask if I'm okay. Now I feel like they're over checking in with me to ask if I'm okay. Um, I think this may go back to the, to the marathon, the sprint and, and allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable is uncomfortable as my friend Ed Ewing has been for the last 53 years. Cause he will tell you, I've been black for 53 years Um that's, I think that's difficult for a lot of us. And, 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 it, and, it, and it beautifully comes back to Ron's point of, hey, this, this, this is fixed, we marched, uh, the police said they're gonna behave, let's move on. But I think what we're seeing here is just, there's there's a whole undercurrent here of stories uh, of people that have not been seen. And it's it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable to watch. I think the hardest thing for me, I didn't realize that the conversation that parents have with black children, brown children, mixed race children, all of them have that conversation today in 2020. My friend Rachel, she has three mixed race boys. She's African-American. She has had that discussion with all her boys and they're all under the age of 10 and they can she continues to have these discussions um, not only about the police but you know Ed my friend Ed was on here the other day and just said hey my parents said hey if you're going if you're going to survive in a white man's world you got to pick a sport you got to pick a white man's sport. He decided to be a great cyclist. His brother decided to be a great golfer. They doubled down on that. Their parents sent him to school, invested a lot of money and and they've been able to do that through the game of golf and cycling they've been able to be really successful uh in lots of different places around the world but it, it it's this is this is not just a marathon. this is an ultra marathon, and I think part of it is don't put this on your black friends to give you a checklist of what you're supposed to do. And then when you check everything off, which is what I like to do, then I can move on. Cause it's, it was on my list. This is not a checklist. Is it, is it Priscilla?
3: No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. This is really about a lifestyle change. It's not just uh, going on the diet and eating well for the next month. Um, and then going back to your old behavior, it's really about changing our hearts And um, a a friend and colleague made a a, a powerful video about um, if it were me. And one of the the thing that caught me the most about it was at the end, it says being a good person is not enough.
4: That's
3: right. All three of us are good people, right? We know a lot of really good people. It doesn't mean that um, uh, if you're a bad person, you're the only one that needs to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a call for good people, To go deeper, and I'm going to say make sacrifices. Um, Do something that hurts a little. Uh, I had an example of a client telling me that uh, she's trying to teach her children about sharing. And so she said, you know, when they clean out the toy bin, they take all the toys that her daughter's no longer playing with and, and go down and donate them. And I said, that's wonderful. What would it be like when you got your daughter new toys to have her pick one? of her new toys and give it to someone Mm -hmm. to actually learn what it means to sacrifice and that people who are, uh, in need don't just get our handoffs. Um, that's a wonderful place to start, but is it enough? What's the sacrifice to actually give a little more than you're comfortable with, Mm -hmm. right? To stretch and to say in my budget, I'm going to give a little bit more, um, And maybe that means my vacation isn't quite as big, just because that's where change happens, I think, is when we have to get uncomfortable. Um, Many people are stepping up and doing wonderful things right now, and that's great. Um, But I think, again, for real change to happen is it means sacrifice.
4: Yeah.
1: She's Dr. Priscilla Wright. She's my therapist, Ron's therapist, the team clinician for the Seahawks. She's worked with the University of Washington Athletic uh, Department, and she is awesome, you guys. I think collectively we have felt a lot of trauma, and even individually, I went to see Priscilla almost three years ago because of some trauma that I was feeling in my life that I didn't understand. Um, and it has been life-changing for me. Um, Any time I talk to Priscilla, I want you to know we laugh a lot and then I cry a lot, and in fact, whenever I'm going to see Priscilla. I began to cry. And even today, when I knew that she was going to be on, I was just driving with my son in the car and I began to get teary eyed. So, um, and it's because it's a reminder to me of the work that I've done, the work that I'm doing, and the work that is still in front of me. And because of the work, because of the journey, how much fuller my life has been. And we come back, I want her to share with you maybe a couple things that you could do during this time because there's a lot going on, you guys, with COVID and the unemployment and we're in election season and now people are marching and these marching crowds are not getting smaller. They're getting bigger. The good news is they're also getting more peaceful and it seems like some things are getting done. Um, But I know people on both sides of the line that are ragged. I talked to police officers over the past couple days. They're out there 16 hours a day, every single day, no days off. Uh, and this is starting to take a toll on them, and it has certainly taken a toll on black and brown people for hundreds of years. So let's come back talk about that. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, you guys. It's Ron and Don for our good friends at Les Schwab, and guess what? They heard your plea. Now you got three. It's three episodes of the Ron and Don Show. Thanks to them. Every Monday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, live from the Les Schwab studios. And get this. I know this from just owning some short-term rentals here in Seattle. A lot of folks this summer are not getting on airplanes. They are vacationing within the state of Washington, which means a lot of you are going to get in your cars, you're going to head to the river. A lot of you are going to get in your cars, you're going to head east of the mountains. Before you get in your car, stop by one to- of the 85 locations where Les Schwab serves you, but hang on. Before you stop, make an appointment, right?
2: Yeah, go to leschwab.com slash Ron and Don It'll bring up a map. You can find the store nearest you. Here's the cool thing. Free safety check if you're in the Ron and Don Nation. They're going to look at your brakes. They're going to look at your battery. They're going to check the tires, the air pressure, signs of fluid leaks. Make sure you're all good to go when you hop back on the road. That is pretty cool. So schedule that online appointment, as Don said. leschwab.com slash Ron and Don. Les Schwab, We're doing the right thing
0: matters. Hey, are you ready to sit down with Ron and Don? Start your real estate journey? Reach out to Ron. Just write him Ron at windermere.com. All
1: right, you guys welcome back? Uh, it's the Ron and Don Show live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, Priscilla, when Ron came to see you first, and then I came to see you after that, uh, in your professional opinion, who is more screwed up? I have to imagine it was Ron because he was seeing you longer. Isn't this correct, Doctor Wright? Uh,
3: according to HIPAA, I'm unable to share that information. But That's interesting right. you <laughs> should bring it up, we can talk about that in your session, Don. Why you need? Why you need to be better than Ron?
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I will. I
1: will. I will tell you this and I felt so bad for Priscilla and you could you can I I went in to see her and then I went to see her a couple times and I'm like, you know what? I think I just have this whole thing worked out and in fact I went back and I read one of my journals and I'm like, hey, I went to I went to therapy for a few months and I think I have this handled. Boom, done.
4: Uh,
1: what? It's yeah done. I, don't, I don't need to see her anymore there, there was a, there was a little problem I hadn't dealt with yet though, and the my the problem for me was my drinking and so she helped me unpack that. I went in there one day and uh as 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 I stopped numbing and as these real feelings began to, to overtake me. Uh, I would sit there and I would just wail. And these were like, and and I don't know if you've ever really cried real hard. I remember uh, jumping my brother. We used to have these ramps and we'd jump jump each other and he jumped me in and the bike came down. He and Billy Weatherall and the, 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 the whole ramp smashed. I ended up going to the hospital. It was a real mess, but I was wailing, just wailing the whole entire time. And when I was sitting in doctors, when I was sitting in Dr. Wright's office, it was very much like that. There was, there, there, there was so much anxiety inside of me, and there was so much of my past inside of me. And it took a while to begin to just unpack those things. And then we talked about the fact, we talked we, we, we compared some things to the wounds that we all carry around. And sometimes when you sit down with a therapist, what happens is you start exploring those wounds, and really you start cleaning those wounds out. And it's really the only way that wounds can heal is what I found out. So Dr. Wright, talk a little bit about the anxiety that people are feeling right now. The depression, the stuff with COVID-19, we haven't been able uh, to see our parents or our grandparents, for instance, or we have someone that passed away and died. On top of that, people are marching in the street. Maybe I lost my job. People are feeling things. That maybe they've never felt before. And then on top of that, I read the other day that alcohol sales, and I don't think alcohol is evil, you guys. It's just something that I can't do. But alcohol sales were up like 347%. So you have to believe, for some folks, that's just not a Sunday afternoon uh, watching a football game because there's no football games going on right now. But tell us a little bit about... I think the collective trauma, but even the trauma in our own lives and some of the things that we can do as far as self-care goes, kind of take care of ourselves right now.
3: Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a big question. I mean, I do think that a lot of people are feeling anxiety and sadness. And, um, as I actually coach people, I say, that's good. Um, they are, are, there are, um, spidey senses. They're telling us something's up. We want to be feeling, we don't want to be numb right now. Um, It's what we do with those feelings that's really important. And so there's a distinction between having anxious thoughts and having an anxiety disorder and having sad or depressed thoughts versus actually having clinical depression. And so I think that's really important that as people are feeling anxious and they're feeling sad, that that's a really healthy response to a very uncertain and uh, overwhelming time. Uh, That said, how do you cope with that right? So part of it is uh, slowing down, uh, pausing, Listening, trying to figure out what is that's getting triggered for you. Why am I anxious? What's going on? Because for many of us, anxiety is this cascade of of thoughts and feelings. And so the first thing may make us anxious, but it's actually the 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 step 10 that we've jumped to without even realizing it that's really anxiety provoking. So it's walking it back and saying, Oh. I'm anxious about that, but I actually can do that. It's uncomfortable, but I can step into that and actually be okay and actually find out if what I think step nine and ten is going to be actually end up happening. So again, I think feelings are normal. Um, they're healthy, and again, there are motivators to act. They're what has us do something. The hard part for all of us is what we do and how we choose to cope with those feelings.
2: So tell us about a first step, because you alluded to it earlier. We're going to start this marathon. I can't, be, I can't be unfit today and then fit tomorrow. A lot of us, like I gained 15 pounds in COVID so far. Uh, I, and I knew I, I felt myself slipping out of good habits. A lot okay. of people listening to this have slipped out of bad, good habits. They're eating too much comfort food. They're drinking too much. They're not exercising like they used to. Uh, they've lost touch with the rhythm of their life. Hmm. Uh, uh, but you can't, I can't hear this and go, okay, I'm going to fix it tomorrow. Where, where do you start? What do, for me, I said, I'm going to just write down everything I eat. In okay. that, and I, I've sort of turned that bus around a little bit, but it didn't solve everything.
3: So um, you both are very familiar with uh, my little thing, Kaizen. And Kaizen means little steps. And so one of the things I do, I do telehealth all day. In between each of my sessions, I do push-ups. I hmm. started doing five push-ups between sessions. I now can do 20 push-ups between sessions. Whoa. So by the end of the day, I've done, yeah. you know, a lot of push-ups, right? Mm-hmm. So it's those little steps. It's not trying to change everything, and it's finding those places you can. So one of the, the big things that people have said in the very beginning, it's still true, is having some routine and having some structure. It's, it's like people going into retirement. Suddenly, if their life just stops, they don't know. They don't have a structure to hang their day on. So trying to have some kind of routine, having a place where you are working, and then signals that show where you're not. So when you're working from home, have a designated place at home where you're working so that when you're not there um you're you're off the clock we're finding that people are actually working more because they can it's right at their dining room table or their kitchen table and it's important i found that myself at the beginning i was available i said well i'm not going anywhere if you need me call me seven days a week i've taken my weekends back now right Um, because i also need to recuperate so i think having structure um doing things in small small steps um, so if it's your eating and it's writing it down, that's a wonderful practice. And it's not judgment. It's just trying to pay attention, just trying to pay attention. So one of the things I say to you guys is be curious. Don't be judgmental. Try to understand it and then figure out where can I make one step, just one step. The key to Kaizen is consistency. So it doesn't mean it has to be huge. It just has to be kind of something we try to do on a regular basis. So self-care, I mean, we always start with the basics. What's my, what's my sleep like? what's my eating like, what's my exercise like, uh, or physical activity, I like to say, because exercise doesn't mean you have to go to the gym. It may be just, you guys know this, I would run down the stairs in between sessions and take five deep breaths of fresh air and come back. So it's also just getting real, real light and real air is, is really helpful. Um, so sort of that, that starting with just that how am I doing for me, am I taking a shower every day? Or is it like, well, I don't really need to. I can just put on my sweats. Those kinds of activities that remind you that there is a structure to your day. Um, and then if you are finding that you're feeling overwhelmed with emotion, it's trying to listen to that. And, and this is where the healthy coping comes in. of not numbing out. We don't like emotion. And so sometimes we numb out through over-exercise. It's not just through drinking and overeating or undereating. It's some of the things that we would say would be, quote, good for us are ways that we can dampen and numb ourselves. And I think there's a difference between taking a break and taking a time out and giving yourself permission to have that versus the numbing. Because the break says I'm going to come back to it, but I need to rest right now. I need a, a, a time to just have some, some restorative time um, rather than um, – I just don't want to deal with it. And I'm going to just pretend it's not happening.
1: As, as, as we close here, um, I think it's important, especially for men like me. Um, it's okay to say that you need help. It's okay. Um, Well, my friend BJ Shea, who does mornings on KSW, and what gave me the idea of having Priscilla on today is that BJ had the courage uh, to introduce us to Grace, who is his therapist that he's been working with for years. And when when BJ told me about the Journey, and I joke, and I say, well, I thought Journey didn't, you know, Steve Perry, uh, I thought his voice box was gone. I didn't think they performed anymore. And I just thought journey was a band. I didn't understand the journey. And what I have to say, sometimes when, when we look at TV or movie and we look at therapists and the way it's depicted, you go in there, you lay on a couch, the therapist does all the work. Uh, and then you pop a couple pills maybe. And, and, and that's not what therapy is. Therapy is you really deciding that you're going to go on this journey that you only have so many minutes and moments left in your rich life. And you can either wake up every day and just kind of fall into the world reflexively, or you can have a say in some of your story. You can be an author of your story. And sometimes in order to do that, with Dr. Wright we practice cognitive therapy. So we don't live in the past. I wrote out my past, we understand the past but we live here today in the present and we move toward the future. And I, I just have to say to men out there, um, if I wouldn't have sat that day with BJ and to be honest, if I wouldn't have seen Ron go and, and, and ask for help and begin to talk to someone, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do that. And you're worth that. You are worth that. You're worth the time to invest in you, but you have to do your work. And when you sit down with your doctor, right? She's just checking in, seeing how your work is going, how your journey is going. It is your journey, it is your work, it is not hers. Just checking in. And sometimes uh, it can be very rough when you decide to get very honest. And when Dr. Wright says there's no judgment, there really is no judgment. When you go somewhere and somebody accepts you unconditionally for exactly where you're at and they know all your secrets, it is so powerful when they just accept you. I've never really had that in my life before. So I just want to encourage you, uh, to find your doctor, right? If you need help, you're not alone. You don't have to numb. You don't have to run. You don't have to be tough. You don't. Doctor Wright, anything you'd like to share in closing? It's it's you you deal with a lot of a lot of men and a lot of men that are public figures and sometimes there's not two sides, Dust. There's ten sides. Is hmm. kind of what I found out, but. it's hard for guys like us to reach out and ask for help, isn't it?
3: It is. And I think, you know, again, I really want to commend what you just said because that's what I would have liked to have said, Um, but you said it very well. And that is, um, you know, from a lot of men, I think they feel like they have to know the answer before they get help. They want to know the answer and, and not go in feeling vulnerable. And what I want to say is I don't have the answer. It's not like I'm the wise one over there telling you what you need to do. Um, So it is a process. It is a relationship. It is, I have expertise in maybe mental health and knowing what other people's stories are, but you're an expert on yourself. And so, you know, I feel so fortunate that I have the privilege of, of having clients like the two of you because I learn every day I get to share in your stories and We work it out together. I'm sometimes a mirror of the things you're saying um, But it's not going and someone's telling you how to live your life um, You don't want me to tell you how to live your life You want me to help you figure out how you want to live your life um, and so absolutely it is not my work. It's your work and and I will say both of you are hard workers. Um, and that makes my job uh a joy and a privilege. So I thank you both.
2: And Don, I need you to know I'll always be here to judge you.
3: <laughs> Don, you apparently pay him enough. You just don't pay him enough, Don. <laughs> <laughs> We want to say
1: that Dr. Wright is a little vain because she <laughs> contacted me earlier today and she's like, are we going to be on camera because <laughs> I'm going to be out in the garden and I need to see if I need to take my gardening hat off and get, so did you go? You look like you took a shower and everything. You didn't comb I- your hair with a brick. You look great.
3: I was actually out mountain biking, and I did comment before you got on that I should have left my baseball cap on, so I could have been like the other, you two, but I chose to remove my baseball cap. Yeah,
2: good job out of you. You know, because I
3: think think there's something about taking your cap off inside that's a sign of respect. Oh,
2: nice. Just saying. (laughs) Exactly.
3: Yeah, okay.
2: Well, thank you for coming on, Dr. Wright. Seriously, I I hope that if one or two people... Uh, choose to get some help, one or two people choose to make a small step that that'll be worth it for me that's, that's one of the things that I, I think um, that I love about doing this show, it, it's, it's sometimes I'm like, ah, I don't want to do the show today but a show like this, where uh, hopefully some positive change comes out of it, I think would be a, a very good result yeah. yeah All right. thank you for
1: letting uh, Ron and I share you with the world Uh, Dr. Priscilla Wright, we thank you so much for being here. And uh, we want to remind everybody when it gets tough to keep your head up, your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time. It's the Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
0: Page hey, force O'Neill, Brains O' This Operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don Show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey,